At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Let's pray together, family. Father, you are the reason why we are here. It's because of who you are and all that you've done that we are here, to Lord, to be able to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Lord, I pray that the joy of Jesus would fill our gatherings, not only in this campus, but across all of our campuses, not only in our church home, but across all of the homes that are gathered together today because we believe that there is no one like you. No one's died for us. No one has loved us. No one has shown us grace and mercy like you. And so, Lord, with all of our beings, we give you praise today. With every fiber in our bodies, with every breath in our lungs, we declare that you are good. And all of God's people said a big amen and amen. If you know he's good, give him praise today. Come on. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Well, what a great day it is to be alive. What a great day it is to know Jesus. I am so excited to be here with you. I just want to say thank you uh, for your financial faithfulness. I know Pastor EJ mentioned it earlier, but a few weeks ago we talked about uh, giving, and in particular we asked you to give because we have made a a big commitment to uh, digital uh, making sure our online platforms are connecting what's happening in, in God's house to the houses of many people throughout our local community and abroad. Well, I just want to update you that this is more than just um, an extra ministry activity. Uh, people's lives are being changed through our digital and online platforms. As a matter of fact, our team shared with me last week that after the service, 11 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ as a result of uh, last week's gathering. Amen? And so I just praise God for it. Thank you. Please continue to be faithful in your giving over and above. And as you get Thanksgiving boxes, maybe pick up an extra couple because this has been a tough year for so many. And we want to be a huge blessing uh, to those who uh, are in need throughout our community. Uh, Today we get a chance to go back into God's Word. It's already been a pretty busy weekend uh, for uh, us as a family. Yesterday, my wife had the kids and I get dressed to go take family fall photos. Anybody ever been through that before? Well, I felt like after it was all said and done, I should get a t-shirt that says, I survived. I survived. And in the midst of the chaos of trying to get little ones to stay focused, to get that one cute picture that hopefully comes out of a thousand different takes, um, you are reminded of what a blessing it is to be a part of a family. And I reminded my kids last night, it's a blessing to be their dad. And, uh, and it's a blessing for us to be family. Today, I think, as we look into the Word of God, Peter wants us to be reminded of that as well. It's a blessing to be a part of God's family. Now, for those of you who are just uh, coming to this study, just know we've been going verse by verse, which is our typical teaching style, through uh, Peter's first letter, First uh, Peter in your New Testament. And Peter is writing to early believers in Jesus Christ, those who are scattered. They are a part of the diaspora is the word that is used in the first verse of chapter 1. 
And this is a group of people that uh, have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but they're kind of disconnected from one another. And what Peter wants to do is reinforce to them who they are, why they are here, and, uh, and ultimately what direction God wants them to take. Today, Peter is going to be talking to all of us about three things, identity, purpose, direction, identity, purpose, direction. You know, it's been said, and I think this is true, there are two great days in a person's life. The first great day is the day that they are born, the day that you and I are born. The second great day in our lives is the day that we discover what we were born to do. Today, Peter wants to drive home that you have an identity because you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, and that God has a purpose for your life, and all of that is set on a direction. See, the more you know the answer to those questions of uh, who we are and why we are here and what God has called us to do on his behalf, the more we understand the answers to these questions, the more stability we have in life. The further we get away from the answers to these questions, the harder life becomes because we really don't understand our purpose. So today we want to get rooted and grounded in purpose again. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter, and we're looking at chapter 2. And today we're just going to look at two verses, verses 9 and 10. Now, if you were with us last week, you will know that we ended last week by declaring that Christ was the cornerstone and that we are called to build our lives on the cornerstone of Christ. In an unstable world, he is the only one that is stable, the only one that is dependable, that our hearts can count on confidently and put our full trust and faith in. And what Peter does is he says to build our lives on the cornerstone of Christ, but then he distinguishes between those who will and those who won't. He gives a warning to those who will not believe. But for those who will believe, he goes into these next verses to declare to us our identity, our purpose, and the direction that God wants for our lives. Now, these are important questions, not just for us on an individual level, but for us on a corporate level as well. Every church should know the answers to these questions of who we are and why we are here and what God has called us to do on his behalf and what God has done for us. We have to know the answers to these questions. If you're going to join this fellowship, if you're going to be a part of the Woodside family, it is incumbent upon you to ask us these questions. Do you know as a church our identity, our purpose, our direction? And what Peter wants us to know is that uh, to be a believer means that you are a part of God's redeemed people. That believers are God's redeemed people. That you have been brought by God with this wonderful plan and purpose of redemption at work in us and through us. Let's look at verses uh, 9 and 10 together. He says in verse number 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, or you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter deals with three things here. The first thing he wants us to do is to know who we are. To know who we are. Look at the A part of verse number nine. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, where do you think that Peter got these descriptors from, these ways 
of describing what it means for us to be God's redeemed people. Do you think that he was just uh, waxing poetic, that as he was writing, he just had a really uh, poetic moment and wrote these descriptions down? No, that's not the case. Though these are beautiful words put together in a way that captures our heart and sparks our imagination. No, Peter was doing something far more profound. He was reinforcing the teachings of Scripture. What we've learned as we've studied Peter's letter is that Peter was a student of the Word of God. Now, he had at his time not a completely finished New Testament. Him and the other apostles were working towards that. But what he had at his disposal were the teachings of the prophets and the Psalms and the, and the law and the, book of Mo, the books of Moses. And so this is exactly what he is reinforcing. It is as if Peter is saying to God's redeemed people, trust in his word. This is where you will find your identity. My friends, if you want to know your identity, look to the Word of God. Every other source will lead you down the wrong path. If you want to know who you are, look to God's Word. So I want you to do me a favor. Keep your finger in 1 Peter, but turn with me to two quick passages. First is Isaiah chapter 43. Can you turn there? Isaiah chapter 43 quickly. And we're going to look at verses 20 and 21. Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to look at verses 20 and 21, and I want you to look for commonalities because clearly what we're going to see is that Peter was studying the prophets. He was studying the law of Moses when he uh, wrote his letter. Look at what it says in verse 20 of Isaiah 43. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. There we go the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praises. Does that sound familiar at all? It should, because this is exactly what Peter was meditating on. He is saying to the people, trust in the writings of Scripture. Trust what the prophets have said about you. Trust the promises of God made to the people of old, because those promises are now true for us that God loves us, that we are now his chosen people. Now, let's go to Exodus really quickly. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, verses uh, 4 through 6. Now, this is an important section of Scripture because this is in uh, the season in which God is forming a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And he, in uh, chapter 20, just one chapter over, through Moses, is going to give them the Ten Commandments that will act as their constitution, as they form a nation. But he wants to first establish with them this special covenant relationship that they would have with God, where he would be their God and they would be his people. He would be their father and they would be a son nation unto him. There would be a special intimacy between the people of Israel as a covenant people and, and, and their God. And look at what it says in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. He establishes them 
as a holy nation for him. He establishes them as a kingdom of priests. He establishes them as his covenant people. And now going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verse 9 again, the A part of that verse, what Peter is saying with joy in his heart and excitement in his pen, he is saying to us who have believed in Jesus that we are a part now of God's chosen people, that we who have believed in God now have this special relationship, that we are not orphans in this world, that he is our heavenly father, we are his people. How many praise God for his special love for us? And it says here in verse number 9a, four descriptors. Look at these four descriptors. Number one, he says that you are a chosen race. Now, this isn't talking about race the way we think about race, but he is saying that you are chosen by me, set apart by me. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but you've been selected you have been selected. I chose you. How many know it's a blessing to be chosen? It is a blessing to be chosen. Think about what it's like to be a little kid in elementary school and they're picking the teams for basketball or baseball or whatever sport you played. Man, you wanted to be chosen. You wanted to be chosen. Even when we get older, we want to be chosen. And I think about this, what it means to be selected by God in a special way. And I think about my my family and I am blessed to be an adoptive dad and I got biological children as well. And it's a special, special thing. But sometimes I will jokingly say to my adopted kids, we chose you, the others just showed up. No, I love all my kids the same. I love all my kids the same. But it is something special to be chosen by God. That out of all the peoples of the world, he chose you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He opened your eyes to the truth. He showed you special mercy and special grace. How many praise God that you were chosen, that we were in darkness, and he chose to redeem us and bring us into his light and into his love. Then secondly, he says, you're a royal priesthood. We heard already in Exodus chapter 19 that he had said to his people, you'll be a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests. Now, what was the role of the ancient priests of Israel? It was to represent God to the people, to represent the ways of God, the word of God, the will of God to the people. This is what the priests did. And oh, by the way, they represented the people to God through sacrifice, through offering, oftentimes making propitiation for sin and and offering to God a sacrifice so that the people might know forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And now he is saying, as God's redeemed people, he is giving us this as a collective identity that we are a nation of priests. We are a royal priesthood. That means, listen, people of God, that means that we represent God to the people. They look to us and they see the the nature, the character, the quality of our lifestyles, and it tells them about God. Someone once said, and I love this saying, that there are five gospels. Four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are in the Bible. The fifth is us. And oftentimes people don't read the the first four. What they see is our lives. And oftentimes it is the lifestyle of the messenger that either draws people to the gospel or at least opens their heart to hear the gospel or repels them away from the gospel. 
My friends, this is why we can't get caught up in the politics of earth and get caught up in the divisions and distinctiveness of this world system that seeks to cause us to lose our identity. This is why we have to be rooted and grounded in God's Word. This is why every day we have to remind ourselves of our identity. Because in my words and in my deeds, together, we as a family, we are representing God to the people. But we also need to be going to, to, to God on behalf of the people. We should, we should be going to God on behalf of people. There should be a list of people uh, ever on your mind that you're praying for. Lord, I'm praying for mercy, for grace, for salvation, for you to do for them what you did for me. There should never be a time where we're not earnestly petitioning God for his salvation to be brought to someone's life, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member. How many praise God that you have someone praying for you? Is there anybody that has that testimony that somebody was praying for you, somebody was laboring in, 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 in prayer for you and being patient with you? Some of you weren't easy cases coming to Jesus. Some of us were hard cases coming, kicking and screaming, but someone was patient, going to God on our behalf and coming to us on God's behalf. We need to be that type of people. That's our identity. We're also a holy nation. To be holy, remember, is to be set apart. That's a simple meaning, to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart. We have been set apart for what? To be holy, for God is holy. We've been set apart to reflect his character, set apart to live on mission for him. Why? Because, here's the last thing he says about our identity, we are people of his own possession. We are his. In other words, this is Peter's way of saying that our identity is fully rooted and grounded in God. That our identity is in him. Don't follow pop culture that tells you that if you really want to know who you are, look deeply within yourself. No, that's a tunnel to chaos. If you really want to know who you are, gaze deeply into the beauty of the face of God revealed through Jesus and uncovered in his word. Gaze into the word of God. And the more you gaze into the word of God, the more you will know who you are why you are here, what he has done for you, the more confidence, joy, and peace you will have in life. But the further you get away from this word, you'll be like a man or a woman who looks in the mirror, walks away, and forget what type of person they are. We are his possession. He is our God. We are his people. Never forget that. That defines who you are. So if someone were to ask you, who are you? Don't start with your profession. If someone were to ask you, who are you? Don't start with your ethnicity. Don't start with, with anything about your ge geography. Don't start with that. All of those are a part of who you are, but those are secondary. The top identity factor of who you are is that you are in Christ, and because you are in Christ, you are God's redeemed people. How many praise God for that truth? Chosen by God, holy unto God, a people of his own possession. Then he goes on to say, know why you are here. Now, there's a four-letter word in the middle of the verse that's really, really important, a small word that makes a huge difference upon which the hinge of the verse swings, and it's the word that, that, that what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are. And every parent knows that to be true. Inevitably, there are certain times when I will tell my kids restrictions or special things that they have to do. 
And sometimes they'll respond back and say, but Billy doesn't have to do that, or Johnny doesn't have to do that, or Timmy can do this. And I'll respond and say, I'm not Billy's dad. I am your dad. You're a part of the Brooks family. And there are certain things that are unique to be a part of the Brooks family. Now, having established that, having Peter having established you are a part of God's family, goes on to say what you're here for. Why are you here? What is your purpose? What should motivate you every day? What should wake you up, get you out of bed, cause you to spring to your feet before your alarm clock goes off? It is this joy we have to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you ever want to know what your life before Christ looked like from heaven's perspective, you were in utter darkness groping around, trying to find purpose and peace, love and forgiveness. But oh, what a joy when the light comes on. And you know exactly why you're here and exactly what you were meant to do. Uh, One of the great theologians of our day, Wayne Grudem, who's written probably the most popular uh, systematic theology of our time in the contemporary sense, says this about this particular verse. He says, to proclaim God's excellencies is to speak of all he is and has done. He goes on to say that Peter uh, uses his word for proclaim nowhere else in the New Testament. He only, it only shows up in the book of Psalms. What does this word proclaim mean? It means to declare publicly and boldly with all of our beings all that God has done and all of who he is. We do this in two ways. One way we do it is through worship. When we gather together into the house of God, we are declaring to a watching world that Jesus is still Lord, that God is great, and that he is worthy of all of our praise. When they ride down Rochester Road and they see these parking lots full of cars, of people who are gathered for yet another weekend to lift up the name of God, you know what they're, they're, they're seeing? You know what it's, it's telling the world? It's telling the world that God is still great and that Jesus is still Lord. That's why we're saying to all of our friends, I praise God for those of you who are watching us at home, but I pray for the day where you will feel comfortable and safe enough to come back because we want your car in the parking lot to add to the testimony that our community sees that there are still a redeemed people of God who have chosen to gather together week after week because we know that he is just that good. And how many praise God for that privilege to be able to lift up his name. So whenever you're wondering, should I go today? Should I gather together with God's people? Know that it's not just for you that we're gathering, but it's to send a message to the world when we come together and worship and to reinforce our faith and trust in God among one another. But the second reason, or way rather, we proclaim his excellencies is through evangelism. It is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It is us saying to others that God is worth following, that Jesus is worth following. It is when we share our faith with others that we're declaring his excellencies. Uh, So here's the question that the text begs us to ask of ourselves. Who are you declaring the excellencies of God to? Who, Who are you actively sharing your faith with? Who are you actively encouraging to follow Jesus because he is the only source of forgiveness and grace and mercy, restoration and healing of a broken heart? 
The world needs to know, and if we're quiet, where are they going to turn? How are they going to know unless we speak? You should be sharing the excellencies of, uh, of Christ with someone or someones as often as you can. Yes, it starts at home. It starts with your family. If your parents, starts with your children. If your grandparents, you should be involved in the discipleship of your grandchildren as well. But it doesn't stop there. Don't ever let the world make you silent. If I'm reading Peter right, I'm not just to proclaim the excellencies of God in safe places or in the privacy of my own home. I'm supposed to do it publicly because he is just that good, to risk it all for Jesus because he laid down his life for me. You know, interestingly, in our society, it was a small little nuance that happened uh, not too long ago where we shifted from the freedom of religion to the freedom of worship. Now, there's a, a small but very important difference. Language around the freedom of worship really spoke to the thought that uh, worship is what you do on Sundays in a building, in an auditorium, a sanctuary, a cathedral, or maybe in your home, but it's not for public life. Freedom of religion spoke broadly of public life, being able to go out into public and declare your faith unashamed, boldly, to a watching world. And what the world will consistently drive us to do is to privatize our faith, to only talk about it in safe places like here or at home. But my friends, we need to declare it because the world needs to know that there is a savior, there is a redeemer, there is one who gives purpose and meaning to life. We need to declare it to others because praise God, someone had the courage to declare it to us. And I am so grateful that someone told me about Jesus. And I pray that you and I will be able to tell others about Jesus and they would be able to, to thank God for us as well. Some of you may have heard of the word catechism before. How many have heard of that word before, catechism? Now, what is a catechism? A catechism is a way of teaching the Bible. It is a way of teaching the major doctrines or theology of the Bible. But it's an interesting device because it's a way of teaching the Bible by asking questions. You ask a question, and then you search the scriptures to find the answer. One of the more popular catechisms ever written is the Westminster Catechism. It comes in a long version and comes in a shorter version. Now, the, the, the first question, probably the most popular question of the Westminster Catechism that comes from the Reformed tradition is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? It was their way and their time and their language to ask the question we're asking right now. What is our ultimate purpose? What is the ultimate purpose of humanity? Why are we here in particular for those of us that are his redeemed and chosen people? Their answer is excellent. And I believe it is excellent because it really reflects what Peter is saying here in verse 9. Their answer is simply this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I mean, you think that's pretty good. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is your purpose? Purpose in life can become so confusing. If you get further away from the scriptures, purpose in life becomes so confusing. It can even become paralyzing. My heart breaks for this generation of young people. I'm a, I'm a dad of a teenager and I see uh, this generation and how they're groping to know why am I here. And if you're not careful, not only will you become paralyzed by that question, you'll become overwhelmed and maybe even anxious. 
But understanding the Bible, understanding what Peter is saying here, it liberates us because it makes it pretty simple. What is your purpose? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It doesn't make a difference what profession you go into. You can be a teacher, you can be an engineer, you can be a doctor. Yes, you can even be a pastor. I tell you to pray before you did it though. But you can go into any profession and when you get there, you show up and you simply have as a goal that through this, I'm gonna glorify God, I'm gonna enjoy him forever. Every action, every deed, just simply glorify God and enjoy him forever. When you eat, when you serve, when you fellowship with other people, just simply glorify God, declare his excellencies and enjoy him forever. Don't stress out over it. This is a simple purpose for which we were created. So who are we? We are God's redeemed people. And why are we here? To declare his excellencies, to simply Declare to people all he is and all he's done. Now, Peter knows that even after being told who we are, sometimes we forget. How many are guilty of having spiritual amnesia from time to time? I know I am. We all forget sometimes. Persecution comes in, uh, we get tempted, we get involved in the cares of this world, and then we forget, why am I here and who am I? So Peter wants to ground our identity and our purpose into something that is unshifting, unchanging, and it is God's eternal character and his deeds on our behalf, the work of God on our behalf. Look at verse number 10. He's answering the question, or he's telling us rather, to know what God did, to know what God did for us. Look at verse number 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's talking about, my friends, what God accomplished on our behalf through Christ in our conversion. That we were in darkness, and now because of Jesus, we have been brought into light. Not just light, marvelous light. That we were not a people. There are not many that are among us, either in this room or watching me uh, online, that are Messianic Jewish believers. That means that the vast majority of us, if we were living in Old Testament times, would be known as Gentiles, those who were foreigners to the covenants of God. We were far from a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, Peter says it this way, you weren't even a people. But now not only are you a people, you are God's people, God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, representing God to the world and representing the peoples of the world to God. You have a beautiful purpose and this wonderful covenant with God. Once you hadn't even received mercy, man, what is it like to live a life without receiving mercy? Anybody out there by the show of hands blows it as frequently as I do? If you blow it as often as I do, you thank God for mercy. You mess up, make mistakes, you thank God that he is so merciful. That there was a time where if I would have showed up before a holy God, I would have nothing to stand on. I would have nothing to look forward to but condemnation and judgment. But now, 
the joy of my heart is that when Jesus comes back to judge the world, and he is coming back to judge the world, I don't have to fear that day. I can show up before him knowing that heaven will be my home. Why? Because I have received grace and mercy, not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done. And if you ever needed a reason to praise him, that's the reason why we praise him. And my friends, this is good news, that our salvation is not based off of what we've done, but based off of what he's done. Because if it was based off of what we have done, then we have reason to be nervous because we're not strong enough. Our actions are not strong enough. We can't save ourselves, but because it's based off of what he has done, we have reason to rejoice because what he has done is strong enough to save us, and we will never lose our salvation because of his great mercy. You know what Peter is doing in verse 10? He's simply adding logs to the fire. How many have ever made a bonfire before? What happens when that bonfire, three of you, praise God, that was going to be a great analogy. What happens with that bonfire if you started out with logs in it, and it's a great fire, but you don't add any logs to it? What happens to that bonfire over time? It goes out. Flame begins to dwindle. Starts getting a little bit cold. But if you add logs to that fire, it keeps going, and you keep adding logs, and it keeps growing. What Peter wants us to do is add logs. Add logs. Every time you're reading the Word of God, you're adding logs to the fire. Every time we come together to worship Him, you're adding logs to the fire. Every time that we are declaring His excellencies to a world that doesn't know Him, you're adding logs to the fire. Don't let your flame go out. Don't let the flame of your passion for Jesus ever go out. Keep studying God's Word. Keep worshiping Him. Keep sharing Him so that that flame will grow and grow and grow and others will come from miles around just to watch you burn to be on fire for Jesus. That should be the goal of our lives. So who are you? You're God's redeemed people. Why are you here? To declare his excellencies, the excellency of the one who saved us, brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And because of all that he's done, we can do this. We can have this privilege. So how should we respond to that? Two responses. One, for those of you who believe, your response should be, praise God, I'm ready to get in the game. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Praise God, I'm ready to get in the game and to share my faith with others and worship him and serve him and be a part of the body of believers so that we can be this kingdom of priests unto God. But secondly, if you have not yet believed, I want to speak to you for a moment. If you're in this auditorium, today is the day of your salvation. You didn't come this far so that you can get this close and leave without knowing Jesus. After we're done here, if you know that you need a relationship with Jesus, either you've never accepted him before or you did and you walked away, there are going to be friends at the front of this church that are going to be here to pray with you after we worship him for just a moment. And I want to speak to these cameras because today can be your day of salvation as well. Just simply type connect in the comment section so that one of our team members can follow up with you to share with you the details of how you give your life to Jesus Christ. But don't go through this world, traversing this evil and fallen world without a Messiah. You need a Savior. We've been praying for you, so act now. And how many praise God that he has saved you and redeemed you? How many love him with all of your heart? Everybody stand with me all over this church. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray right now that today would be the day of salvation. Thank you for those baptisms, but we pray for even more so that others 
the Lord can join us in worshiping your great name. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said a big amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.